Hello and welcome to episode 67 of Popcorn Optional, a weekly movie podcast where we talk all things movie. This week we're reviewing the film that seems to be doing all kinds of big things, critically, commercially, pretty much anything that you can think of. That film is Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, but before we get to our review, we have a news item to talk about. Uh, we have a game of MovieCast Mad Libs, and then, as always, after our review, we will end with our content of the week. So, uh, my name is Cameron Salina, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jake Brown and Trevor Allison. How are we doing, boys? I'm good, man. How are you? Hello. Yeah, doing good. Yeah, yeah it's, been a, it's been a week, but we're here. So, uh, it has been a, a cycle of seven there days we go. and seven moons. And it has. I mean, that's that's what happens usually. Um, so the Academy Awards <laughs> decided to postpone their "quote unquote" popular best popular film. I don't really even know if it was best. Postpone their popular film category after all the backlash. And first of all, I just want to give respect to the Academy because so often studios people whoever companies make a decision and then just get so stubborn that they're like there's no way we're changing it nope nope that's we're doing that respect to the academy for actually listening to the backlash and going you know maybe this is a bad idea maybe we should have actually described this thing that we announced (laughs) maybe we should have actually thought this through before just going you know what Disney wants us to get another category so that uh, Black Panther for sure gets some awards. Uh, let's do best popular film. <laughs> it's, it, it should have been something that was added to the Golden Globes because that that's oh, where that belongs. Let's be real. Yeah, with the whole category of music and comedy as well, <laughs> which is the weirdest. Right. Like, I don't know why we're comparing those films or why... See, that's what makes the Golden Globes a joke, is the fact that they have to have two different best film, and one of them is for musical or comedy. Well, that's the thing, is it's like, it's already, you know, the Golden Globes are already kind of in their weird little place with their weird little categories. Just let them do their thing. Disney could have slipped some money under the table to the Golden Globes and been like, hey, we want our films to have awards, instead of putting it in the Oscars. And also, it should have been something that, kind of how you said, the way that it was announced was just really really poorly done on uh disney slash the academy's job um yeah not not upset that this went away and uh just kind of frustrated with the way it was handled do you guys think this makes the academy nervous to announce other changes or do you think this was like just a random one-off yeah i think it's pretty clear that any future changes will be announced with more detail. I think that's the problem. I don't necessarily know that a new category in and of itself is the problem. I know we talked about how it would be great to have you know, other kinds of categories, but um, this kind of thing you know I, the problem was that no one knew what it actually meant. And right. it, it really felt like even more snobbery on the part of the Academy of, oh yes, we will we will also give awards to the films that aren't as good as our best films, but are still films that people saw in theaters. Right. I get that they're trying to bring audiences back to the Academy Awards, but that's not the way to do it. Like you don't do it by just nobody who doesn't already watch the Academy Awards is now gonna is now gonna watch them because there's now a category about popular films. Like just because there's gonna be a five minute sketch where 
not sketch, but part in the show where they talk about your favorite popular movie. Nobody's going to be like, I'm going to watch three hours of this just for that. That's not also last year, 26.5 million people watched the Oscars. It's really funny to me in this day and age of fragmented television and DVR and YouTube clips that we're mad that 20, only 26.5 million people watched our TV show. (laughs) Right. Like the days of the days of everyone in America watching the same thing is is way gone. The Super Bowl is the only thing that even comes close to that. Right. Um and so it's 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 really it's weird to me that they think that this losing viewers is a problem. Maybe it's ABC thinks it's a problem because of how many how much money they've paid, I guess, and they can't recoup it in advertising. But if they didn't see this trend coming, that's on them also. Yeah. T- t- television viewers viewership by show has been trending down, I don't know, for at least 15 years, maybe longer. Right. I think that like Trevor has the right idea of like how you get people to care about the Oscars is you use it as a teaching moment. Like you use it as a way to explain how films are made, who does what, more behind the scenes stuff on a film generally like creates more interest and excitement for the film or just filmmaking in general like movie magic is a thing and seeing what goes into making it happen is super interesting and so the more that the academy could actually like teach the public instead of like holding back all the secrets for themselves uh, i think like (laughs) you're gonna have more people watch the oscars That, that just makes sense yeah, a yeah. good example of this was Jake Jake uh, recommended the How Did This Get Made podcast the other day, mm-hmm. and they always go for what they call a second opinion, which is where they find reviews <laughs> of that are positive reviews of bad movies. And someone in the Meg review said, the editors did a great job with the, the shark animation. <laughs> so that's just like an example of, let's maybe teach people what an editor does. Yeah. And what cgi is and i don't i don't know like how cgi works all of that kind of thing yeah i think i mean i think that'd be great to actually get some insight into like what does the academy mean when they have sound mixing or sound editing or all that kind of things what are they looking for what are like i would love to have them have like voters up there and be like you know here's why this is why this one or it's like some sort of like commentary about like, here's what this film brought to the table. Because most times when you're watching it, it's just a, this thing won. It's great. Right. And half the time you don't like, if you aren't inundated with tons of movies, like most people are, you're not going, well, why is that costuming great in that movie? Or why does the, are those special effects better than this one? And there are actual real details. And so I think some sort of like education is a great idea, Trevor. Or here's an idea. Have last year's winner tell us why this year's winner is great. Hmm. You know, like we could tie this thing together or something like that, <laughs> which would mean, you know, spilling the secret to someone like a day or so early. But I whatever. I don't care about that. I mean, yeah, they, I don't think people are really going to care. They mess it up on stage. So it doesn't matter if it slips before. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the new thing is that all of like the winners leak the day before. And so everybody on Saturday is just like, Ooh, they're going to leak tonight. They're going to leak. <laughs> um, alrighty. 
that's all we have for news. Let's go ahead and get into movie cast Mad Libs. So how this works is I'm going to read off some character descriptions to Jake and Trevor. And one by one, they'll go through and they'll cast this movie. But what they don't know is that they're actually casting a very famous movie and just recasting roles. And at the end, I'll reveal to them what movie they've recast. And then I'll pick which of their two characters I would like to see actually in that role more than the other one. So it's kind of a competition. It's kind of a just little fun, dumb look at what could happen if random actors were thrown into a movie. Uh, So get your thinking caps on because we are about to start casting another movie. Uh, So let's start, let's start off with, okay, this character. Um, So this is an older character, 50 to 60. He's a mentor and um, kind of father figure to our lead character. Val Kilmer. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Give me a little bit more, like... What's the personality type? Is it like a rough mentor, or like a like a gentle? No, it's a mentor? very like it's a rough mentor when he needs to be, but he's very like conservative, kind of refined type character. He's not like a brash like military type guy. Um, he's more like like a businessman type, kind of grandfatherly, I would say. Grandfatherly, uh, Christopher Walken. All right, let's cast. Uh, Let's cast let's cast our villain. So the villain is I would describe him as kind of psychopathic. He has to be able to play like the unhinged but controlled. Like you know when like a villain is somewhat unhinged, like you know that they're a psychopath but they play it in a very like controlled way to where it's even more terrifying. It's like in a horror film when the villain's just kind of walking after the heroes, that type of like like they know they're gonna kill them. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do we have an age range? No, I would I, I would be fine with any age. Not Jacob Tremblay, but um, <laughs> you know, twenty to I could see this being played by anyone twenty to fifty. Um, I wanna give Joseph Gordon Levitt a chance to redeem himself from G.I. Joe retaliation. No, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, the first one. Yeah, they're all crap. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go Cillian Murphy. Oh, okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, all right. Next up is a male, preferably like 40s to 50s, so a little bit older. Uh, selfless, uh, and respected everyone around him. He's a virtuous character but it's in a very like kind of understated behind the scenes kind of way. Oscar Isaac. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Matthew McConaughey. Ooh. Cleaned up like Lincoln commercial, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want him to never make eye contact with another character. <laughs> and every single like word that he speaks in the film is via voiceover. Yes. Like, it's never actually him. <laughs> yes. I've been driving a Lincoln since before Lincolns were cool. Um, all right, so male. This is a, like, chiseled all-American hero quality. Chris Evans. Ooh, okay. <laughs> oh. Specifically, Infinity War beard Chris Evans. <laughs> oh, y- mm. yes. Yeah, I could do that. 
Um, chiseled all American. Man, I wish Scott Eastwood was a good actor. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, Scott Eastwood. I feel like we're kind of devoid of the like Channing Tatum from ten years ago in Hollywood today. Do we have any of those? Like the kind of clean cut type. Um, like like you know because tell- I think that you want someone that's like cha- like I would say try and stick in the Chris Evans Channing Tatum age range. Okay. Okay. Well, then let's do Channing Tatum. He's okay. he's like the poor man's Chris Evans. Hey, Channing Tatum had his moment. <laughs> um. All right. Let's let's cast our female lead. Probably twenties to forties, but also keep in mind she should probably be in similar age to our lead, who we'll cast next. Um, smart, hardworking, unwilling to compromise her morals. She'll be a like. She's a love interest to the lead. Love interest to the lead. Is she? Have we cast the lead yet? No, we haven't cast. We're okay. gonna cast him next. Okay. Is she badass? Okay. Like, or is she? Is this romantic? I I think like no. A... I would I see. I didn't want to. I was kind of. She has to have a connection and chemistry with the lead, but that's a very like small part of who she is. I wouldn't necessarily say badass because I think that she's a little bit more reserved. Um, she's not like an in-your-face MMA like Michelle Rodriguez punch you type character, but she's. A little bit more reserved, kind of. She could probably destroy you if she wanted to, but she's very like held back. I'll take I'll take Daisy Ridley. Good choice. I'm gonna go with Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, I like that. For some reason, I can't remember that she exists. I know, right? Like until I see her. I know. Yeah, <laughs> she's great. Yeah, she is. Um, all right, let's cast our our lead. Twenty to forty male. Um. He's very high society, but he <laughs> kind of has a chip on his shoulder. He's got something to prove, and he's trying to show everyone around him that he's not what the public perceives him as, as this kind of billionaire. I'm going to, in a bizarre reversal of Star Wars, I want Donald Gleason. Okay. So 20 to 40. You cast Rebecca Ferguson. I would try and be somewhere. I think she's like mid thirties. I would try and probably be somewhere in that range as well, because they've got to be able to complement each other on like these two sides of things. Jacob Tremblay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, billionaire. I'm gonna go. This is gonna be a surprise, I think, but I think he could do it. I'm gonna go Jason Bateman. Oh, all righty. Like after watching Ozarks, he's just he's got a side to him. Next and last is a tech guru and friend of the lead. This could be male or female, really any age. Just tech guru, friend of the lead, gotta have a nice banter with the lead. Simon Pegg, is that the most typecast role he's ever? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with Simon Pegg. Uh, uh, no, I'm gonna go Bill Hader. Oh, of course, he'd be a funny IT guy. Um. The guy in the chair. I need a guy in the chair. <laughs> you need Ned. That's what, maybe I just need Ned. I kind of want to go for the female best friend type. Tessa Thompson. Yes, I'll take Tessa Thompson there. That's that's interesting. Okay. Well, this is the interesting thing is that your guys' first four choices have all appeared in films with this character. So Val Kilmer played this Ugh. character. Christopher Walken 
uh, was a bad guy. Oh. Joseph Gordon-Levitt <laughs> was a sidekick, and Killian Murphy was a villain. So congratulations, you guys have recast The Dark Knight. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Did I just cast Jason Alrighty. Bateman as Batman? You just cast Jason Bateman as Batman, God Jake. damn it. <laughs> I didn't know he was also playing Batman. You just said he was billionaire playboy guy. Billionaire with a chip on his shoulder, and he has something to prove to those around him that he's not who they think he is. No, okay, that's not. You describe Batman as a uh, psychopath who beats people up with his bare fists on a nightly basis. Yeah, Jake, but if I do because that, because something with bad that else, happened to him when he was eight years yeah. old. <laughs> Okay. Would you like to give me another no, option? No, that's just here. Okay, well, let's go through this really quick. Alfred Pennyworth, the older 50 to 60 mentor and father figure. Trevor cast Val Kilmer. Jake cast Christopher oh Walken. Oh, my God. <laughs> I kind of love Christopher Walken Bruce, in this role. Christopher- what is wrong? <laughs> <laughs> the Bruce, the Batman, he's, he's, he's bats. He's crazy. He's got a... You know, he's got to beat him up. Cameron, you're this so is, much better at impressions than I thought you were. <laughs> I'm glad that's, that so that's what I bring to the podcast. Um, I think that we just cast an like like a funnier die version of Batman, both of us. <laughs> I think you did. Yeah, there's going to be some uh, there's some great choices, and then there's some kind of meh, we'll see. Uh, the Joker, the villain, psychopath, uh, completely unhinged yet controlled. Trevor cast Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jake cast Killian Murphy. And that's a hard one. That's a, is it, I think Killian Murphy. Is it Killian or Cillian? I thought it was Killian. Yeah, whatever. I, I, th- I whatever. thought it was Cillian, but I don't know. Sicilian. Yes. <laughs> this is Cicely Murphy. Um, because I feel like we've kind of already seen him, Murphy, play that role in Scarecrow, I'd kind of like to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt play the joker um james gordon the selfless respected but every but and respected by everyone around him virtuous but understated uh trevor cast oscar isaac jake cast matthew mcconaughey and i like i like both of those i like both those actually. a lot i think those are actually both really good choices it kind of just it depends what side of the character you're going with oscar isaac's a much younger he would be the same age as batman um I love Oscar Isaac so much. I'm going to go with Oscar Isaac. Um, Harvey Dent slash Two-Face. Male, chiseled, all-American hero. Trevor cast Channing Tatum and Jake cast Chris Evans. And to use Trevor's words, Channing Tatum is a poor man's Chris Evans. So, Chris Evans, you are playing Harvey Dent. I just, Uh, I just, can Chris Evans be mean to people? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, have you seen Snowpiercer? Yeah. Yeah, but I think he's just become Captain America recently. I think he I think can be a little unhinged. We'll see. I'm interested to see what he does next. I thought you said we'll see as in like, like wait, Trevor, you know that this actually isn't me, right? <laughs> we're, not, we're not actually casting. Warner Brothers isn't sitting next to me being like, okay, Chris Evans. Ah, gosh, that's going to be a lot of money. <laughs> um, all right. Rachel Dawes, played by both Katie Holmes and Maggie Gyllenhaal. The female... Uh, similar in age to the lead, smart, hardworking, and unwilling to compromise her morals and love interest to the lead. Now, I actually think both of these, Trevor cast Daisy Ridley, Jake cast Rebecca Ferguson, I actually think both of these characters would bring something interesting to it. I would like to see Daisy Ridley do this. 
I think Daisy Ridley would, get, would do good. And as Bruce Wayne Batman, the 20 to 40 uh, <laughs> philanthropist billionaire, but with a chip on his shoulder, something to prove to everyone around him, Trevor cast Donald Gleason, and Jake cast Jason Bateman. Um, I hate both of those so much. I hate <laughs> both of those. Um <laughs> I've been watching Peter Rabbit with my son, and while that movie's fine, there's no part of Donald Gleason in that movie that goes Batman uh, or <laughs> Hux or Revenant. I don't care what role he's in. He can't do Batman, so I feel like by default, it kind of needs to be Jason Bateman. I think, I think, as odd Bateman, as that is. I think Bateman could equal Clooney's performance. Oh, that's that's not like a. Are you saying that with a positive twinge? Like I'm saying, I'm saying he probably wouldn't be the worst we've ever seen. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, Bateman's better than Gleason in this situation. I'm gonna. I'll be really honest with you guys. I wish I had done this differently and just put Batman last, and then just gone. Hey, the last character is Batman. Who do you want? <laughs> and that way, it would have. You know, I because I think the rest of the cast is pretty great, and then it's kind of like. It's almost like you spent the bulk of your budget on the supporting characters and then you got to the main character and we're like, well, I, I guess we'll, we can't get John Hamm. Uh, yeah, let's do Jason right? If you had done that, I probably would have wanted to switch Oscar Isaac mm. to my Batman. Gosh, Oscar Isaac would be a great Batman. I, th- he could, he, I think he could kind of nail the, the Michael Keaton thoughtful Batman. I would like to see Chris Evans do it as well. Uh, I know that that would probably be sacrilegious. Did you just, uh, did you just have a hernia like thinking about that? <laughs> I vomited in my own mouth just, as I said he thought it. about He thought about like the, the, the crossover continuity of everything exploding with that happening. You know, you I mean, that's have... the closest to Patton Oswalt's dream world that we're going to get. Isn't that what we want? Yeah. And then we can cast Chris Evans as Boba Fett. And then you have him playing Boba Fett, Batman, and Captain America oh my God. in a movie. Last up as Lucius Fox, the text guru and friend of the lead. Trevor cast Tessa Thompson, Jake cast Bill Hader. This is the worst think- Batman movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the point of Mad Libs though, right? They don't actually make sense. And to be fair, I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be great as a Joker. Oscar Isaac. Like a lot of this cast is great. It's just the very important roles <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that carry the-, the bulk of the movie that are not well <laughs> the reason yeah the lucius fox is also a problem morgan freeman is perfect because the character has to be someone that you immediately and and trust you immediately trust and never waver your trust in them right um i trevor just even going off that i would say that person out of these two as much as i think tessa thompson would be great in this i think that person would be bill Hader. All right, Alfred Pennyworth will now be played by Christopher Walken. The Joker will now be played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. James Detective Gordon will be played by Oscar Isaac. Harvey Dent slash Two-Face will be played by Chris Evans. Rachel Dawes will be played by Daisy Ridley. Uh, Lucius Fox will be played by Bill Hader because Jake just says ridiculous things. (laughs) And Bruce Wayne slash Batman is played by Jason Bateman. So. So this lines up pretty well with what Warner has been doing in the past four or five years. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Matt Reeves Batman movie that we're getting. Oh, it's no. just this cast. <laughs> oh, no. Plus what Andy Serkis playing Caesar. My, my favorite thing ever would be if Casey Affleck ended up being Batman in that movie. Oh my God. Stop it. Don't even but wait. joke. Okay. 
have you guys ever seen Casey Affleck when he hosted SNL? He did a Dunkin' Donuts sketch. Yes. About like the real people. That, yes. That Casey Affleck as Batman. You know, I'm I'm okay with that. All right. Well, that's all we have for MovieCast Mad Libs. We're sorry to all DC fanboys out there for this movie that we've just cast, but, <laughs> including um, ourselves. Yes. Yeah, we'll do we'll do an Avengers one next time, and I'll just tell them that everything has to be like kids ten and under. It's Jacob Tremblay playing every character. <laughs> all right. Moving on to our review of Crazy Rich Asians, which has just been dominating the box office. So. To put things into perspective, Wonder Woman had one of the lowest drop-offs from Weekend 1 to Weekend 2. It did about 40% of a drop-off from Weekend 1 to Weekend 2. Crazy Rich Asians from Weekend 1 to Weekend 2 did 5% drop-off, and then on Weekend 2 to Weekend 3 did a 10% drop-off. So just to kind of put that out there, this is that film that comes out that just kind of grabs people and by word of mouth just spreads uh, and spreads and spreads and spreads. Which is why almost a month after it's been released, we are now reviewing it because it's we've been forced to because <laughs> people keep talking to, about it. I was <laughs> the last person that I know to see it out of uh, outside of us. We were also forced to by The Nun and Peppermint coming out this weekend. Whoa. Did you just disrespect Jennifer Garner? Yes. <laughs> Whoa. I, I, I remember watching Whoa. that trailer and I was right, like, oh, okay. So it's the script of Taken, but with a female lead. Dude clearly doesn't understand. Oh my gosh. I don't even know what we're talking about, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, Jake, there's a film called Peppermint starring Jennifer Garner okay. as Liam Neeson. Okay. And um, Someone takes her son and she uses her particular set of skills to get him back. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Good. So have it you also seen has Alias? a thirteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. So that's where we're at. Um, that being said, I was very pleasantly surprised by this film. I had a smile on my face most of the time. I think I was like laughing a, at least a good fifty percent of the film. My theater was packed. I went on a Saturday night at like eight, and I had almost a sold out theater and. It was just like, this is one of those films that comes out that I was just the entire time, smile on my face, walked out happy. It's, there's nothing about it that makes it like, like amazing or like the best romantic comedy of all time, but it's just like a fun breath of fresh air that's deserving all the praise it gets. What did you guys think of this movie? Yeah, I, I liked it. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's, what I can say about it is I just think that John M. Chu just did everything right. Like everything was done as it was supposed to have been done. It's this like absurd story of this like crazy, unbelievable wealth and opulence. It has the most beautiful people and places <laughs> I've ever seen in one place at one time before in my entire life. It's inc- it's I I wonder if they're like the first thing was like, can you read these lines? Okay, okay. Are you beautiful? Sure. Yes, you can be in our movie. Um, but that being said, read? the act. Okay. That's. But the acting performances were mostly really good to great across the board. I think as well. Um, but yeah, I just I just enjoyed this. It was it was a lot of fun. It was ridiculous. Um, in good ways. It was half fairy tale, half F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, 
And yeah, yeah, I also I felt the same way, Cam. I just enjoyed this movie. The two girls in front of me who left three quarters of the way through apparently did not, though. So I don't know what that's about. Jeez, <laughs> uh, people are stupid, Trevor. Um, okay, yeah, I I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. Um, I do want to say, like, I'm gonna first seek political asylum by swearing that I support. Uh, the plea for cultural diversity in Hollywood and that I'm incredibly happy that this movie exists and it's doing well. And yes, it's endearing. Yes, it's fun. But I will say it is incredibly predictable and unoriginal. It's it's basically the Chinese version of Cinderella meets Fifty Shades of Grey meets Pretty in Pink. Um, <laughs> but I mean... Wait, how much do you know about Fifty Shades of Grey plot? That's where wait, I'm really... Those, those movies on. are not the same at all, though. So how is it predictable? <laughs> I just felt like everything was just so predictable. It was just kind of like, okay, they're going to go on the bachelor party. Oh, this, this one guy, he's crazy. Look how crazy this is. They're going to want to escape. Of course, <laughs> of course he has a helicopter pilot license. Like just the stuff like that. <laughs> so where I'll say this. There are very few times in my life where I've seen a romantic comedy and I've been shocked by the plot. Yeah. Most times when I walk out of a romantic comedy, the good ones, what separates the good ones from the bad ones for me is can they keep me entertained for the runtime of the film? Absolutely. And I was and entertained. The, the, the other part time. is, does this movie make me feel things? And this movie made me feel things. Yeah. No, I'm, mm-hmm. that being said, like it, I, I had a lot so, of fun Jake, with it. So Jake, who's the racist now? <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it. It was really well done. Um, I, I, I have no complaints beyond the fact that I felt it was pretty predictable and unoriginal. Um, but I mean, like you guys said, it, not many romantic comedies are unpredictable or super original. I mean, it, it's kind of just the the trope of the genre. I will say this is probably the best one I've seen since Crazy Stupid Love, which is actually going to be my content of the week recommend, which I think is the <laughs> best uh, romantic comedy ever made, potentially. Um, but totally agree with yeah. you guys that like the cast is fantastic. The production design, oh my goodness, just the visuals in this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's the best romantic comedy to come out in a really long time. And just like the diversity behind it, um, makes it even that much better. Um, that's, that's what really brought a smile to my face is it's like, it's being rewarded for being good. And just the fact that it's like also a very diverse cast is super exciting. So I really liked it. Please hear me say, I really liked it, but I just, I just found it a not a little, but pretty predictable and unoriginal. So here's what I'll say is that as I look back on it, yes, it's predictable. At least for me, and I don't, Trevor, I don't know if you're the same way because you had kind of echoed something I'd said earlier, but um, as long as you can keep me entertained, I w- I'm not thinking as much about the plot. Like if you keep me laughing, my mind is on that and it's not as much on like, Where's this going next? So yes, there were like in some of the downtimes and there there's downtimes in the plot. Um, some of that gets a little bit predictable, like the bachelorette party. It's like, okay, something's obviously going to go wrong here. I'm not like uh-huh. there are moments like that, but in the, when this movie's firing on all cylinders, I'm not thinking about where's this going next. I'm fully in that moment of what's on screen. Yeah, I think I think what kept it from for me for being being predictable at least as I was watching it and thinking about it was how how tight the pacing is in this movie. I think it's really well paced. Um you're 
you're getting a little bit of something and moving on to something else. Um, I kind of think about the, the bachelor bachelorette party sequences that like, I mean, for, for what they spit on those set pieces probably should have been longer in the movie, (laughs) but, um, we're not. And I think it was perfect. That could have been somewhere, something where a lesser movie might've dwelled too long for some comedy value. Um, especially in the bachelor party, but it, it, in every scene, I feel like, or most scenes that it kind of got in, got out, did what it needed to do. And that's what kind of kept me from really getting too deep into it and being completely unable to read Michelle Yeoh and what she yes. was doing. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so there's this beautiful way that they demonstrate and give layers to the mother character that Michelle Yeoh plays because that could very easily be just like a stereotypical tough mother. She's just not going to like whoever the son brings home. But there's layers when you look at it from the angle of like who she was when she came into the family, her relationship with her mother-in-law. And you see all these things played out. And I think that's one of my favorite parts is that this movie adds layers to all these normally textbook areas that most directors would kind of just take and leave them be like, okay, people are going to understand that's the stereotypical tough mother. Um, but instead there's this, this lineage and years of her. It's almost like hazing in a way where it's like, it happened to me. So it's going to happen to you. Like just because my life was hard, it's going to be hard for you too. And as you know, wrong as that is when you're in that mindset, it's, you you come to understand why she reacts how she does in this moment because one out of her love for her son but two because this is how things were for her she was expected to be at the top and so whoever marries her son must be there as well let's go ahead and jump to spoilers because like we said this movie is formulaic at parts but there are some shocks um and some nice moments that I don't want to spoil because so much of the movie is the experience. And if you're looking for something, um, then you're not in the moment um, in the movie. And so uh, if you haven't seen this movie, go see it. It's well worth your time, especially with there not being anything out right now. What else are you going to go see? It's probably the best movie that's in theaters right now. So go check it out. It is well worth your time. Um, Were there storylines in this movie that kind of detracted from the movie as a whole, because there's, there is the main storyline, um, that we see, you know, between Rachel and Nick and her trying to, uh, figure out his family. But then there's also, you know, there's the Astrid and her husband angle. There's like, uh, you there's mean, obviously um, the bachelor, you mean Astrid, Astrid <laughs> office reference. Number one on the uh. podcast, it's taken us almost 38 minutes to get to oh, this man. point, guys. Come wow. On. Step it up, y'all. Step um, it up. There's that angle. There's all these like small little angles of like the director guy and his actress girlfriend. And then uh, there, there's all these different things. Were there any of them that like felt like could have been cut to make this movie a little bit tighter? I think I think that they all work pretty well, especially the, the movie financier and the actress girlfriend was fun little comic relief on the side. And same thing with the with the guy who was obsessed with how his family was posing at optimal optimal angles every time <laughs> they took a photo. But yeah. I, I I think the Astrid Michael angle was, if anything, a little underdeveloped. Mm. It just okay. felt like there could have been a little bit more to it. 
like maybe a little bit more leading in to who Astrid is because the, the lead in that we get is that she's like this perfect, amazing person that everyone loves. And then it kind of turns on that a little bit. And I think that Jimmy Chan is great, but um, I think that if anything, th- there could have been a little bit more time spent on that or maybe cut it completely. I don't know. But Astrid is a really important character for the overall story arc. And I guess her situation with her husband helps lend the levity that she needs to to be involved with Rachel like she is. Um, but I, I don't know. That felt somewhere in between. I don't know. The only time it felt weird for me was in like the climax of the film where we have mm-hmm. the montage of of her getting proposed to and all that stuff. And then um, we're cutting to asked her talking to Michael and <laughs> being like, I'm done. I'm moving out. I own 14 apartments. And like, I felt like that was the hero moment. And then to like cut to her, like putting on earrings and then to cut to her, like walking out again, mm-hmm. like the cutting to the earrings thing after the conversation that just happened kind of implied, like she's like, you know what? Now I get to wear my earrings. So screw you. Like it was just kind of like, this isn't about, the this isn't about materialism and that's kind of like that what that edit kind of implied for it to be and then to like come back to it again as like the climactic moment between um rachel and nick was happening it was just kind of like "Mm, don't like that edit but that's like literally the only moment in the film where i think the edit was a little off um like Trevor said before that this film is really tight. Like there's not much you can take out um, without losing a lot of the heart of the film, because that's where a lot of the, the things that make it stand up from other romantic comedies is in these like side characters and these side relationships. Uh-huh. That's what makes it stand out as, as great as constant woo and uh, what's his name? Henry Golding are Henry Golding. Film. Like they both are fantastic, but it's a very basic romantic comedy couple in terms of the, right. like their personalities. H- uh, Henry Golding is handsome and charming as, as you know, as you want. Um, and constant woo does great. Like I'm super excited for her and like what's going to come out of this. But I mean, the performances from like Aquafina and Ken Jeon and like th- those like f- funny characters are really what make this film stand out. I think. Yeah. This this I, I agree. I think that most rom-coms have like one or two characters for comic relief that they just go back to over and over again. This, the, this is something that we talk about a lot and something that we like in movies. This this like builds a universe basically mm-hmm. or builds a world. Like there's this is a real world that feels like real people. Like it's absurd and ridiculous, but it's all it's kind of like what we talked about with the Godfather. These people are insanely rich, but it's this thing is set completely within their world, so everything makes sense within the confines of that world. Just like within The Godfather, it has its own morality. This has its own version of what's okay with wealth and what isn't Mm -hmm. because all we see is just this insane wealth. Um, I'm normally very against spinoff films. I'll take a whole movie of Aquafina's family between <laughs> Ken Jeong and his wife in this movie. Yeah. Aquafina's I brother. I like, didn't love the brother. The brother was a little too much. Oh, the brother. I was rolling the <laughs> but, entire, every but, time he popped up with that camera, I was dying. Aquafina was basically like the next step of King of, of Ken Jeong's stick. It was yeah. like, 
It was like she just took it one step further from what he does. She felt like uh, Rebel she, Wilson from Pitch Perfect. Outrageous, but still ever so slightly believable friend character that is just her her comedic timing is really impressive. Right. I don't know if we fully got in Ocean's Eight. She's great in that movie, but I feel like this like that was almost like a warm up act for this. Like this is the movie where it's like. Okay, she's arrived. She's here. Now she can, you know, start doing her thing because she kills it beginning to end in this movie. She is one of the best parts. Um, I would also give a lot of credit to Constance Wu. I think that she does a lot with a very simple role here. Mm-hmm. She there's a lot of uh-huh. like comp- different emotions is a very simple way to put it, but there's a lot of different feelings that she plays very accurate. And very believable. She's completely like heartfelt throughout the entire movie. Like mm-hmm. uh, every time she cries, you feel it. And when she smiles or like when she does something that's endearing, you're right there with her. And it's it's a perfect casting choice for this role. Yeah, she's she's an absolute delight. I I don't think I'd ever seen her in anything before this. She hasn't done much. But, I mean, she's in Fresh Off the Boat, but that's kind of it, uh-huh. honestly. But I came away from this like I I need to watch everything that Constance Wu was in because she's yeah. just she's so endearing she's she's just so like believable her the way that sh- you hear like her voice change in scenes reacting mm-hmm. to what's going on and and just everything everything about her performance is is just fantastic yeah and so l- from that leading into that end scene what I love about the mahjong scene is that's that's the litmus test for this film. And yes, it comes at the very end, but that's the part of this movie. That's like, look, do any of us, have you guys ever played Mahjong? Nope. Um, I've only played the one that I guess is the Americanized version where it's just like matching. Yes. I don't think that's actual Mahjong. No, I love how they lead you through what's going on. Like you have no idea what Mahjong is, but you fully understand the implications of, what's going on. And I remember there was an article like the weekend this movie came out. That was like the true meaning of the ending of this movie and going back and watching it. I'm like, how did you not get that? Like, they're like a lot of people have been very confused about the ending of this movie. I'm like, no, they do a pretty darn good job of not necessarily holding your hand through it, but giving you all the information you need in order to understand exactly what, she did in that, in that moment. And it's such a, like, this is, and this, this is where I think she really shines is she's played this heartfelt, kind, uh, loving, sincere character, the entire movie. And then this one scene, you fully just see her like take all the power back in just one move of being like, I'm going to show you who I am. And that's such a beautiful moment that I don't think can be understated because it's, what she does with that moment is so powerful. Yeah. I thought it was uh really strong. And what I liked about it, however, it wasn't like, I'm going to play you for the right to marry your son right. or like how I feel like it could have been, or like how a lot of rom-coms would have made it. Instead. It was like, that's where I thought it was going. Yeah. It was just was like, that statement it. of just like, I am worthy. And then that like, and someday you're going to have all the things that you actually want. And it's because of me. And then she walks <laughs> off um, with her mother. And that that was just, 
That was the heart of the film so, right there. Yeah. I do disagree with you a little bit, Cam, in that I didn't understand that she was letting her win. Okay. That, that Rachel was letting um, Eleanor win. I did not pick up on that Wait, from so watching it. Did, I thought Rachel won based on the like sass. No, El- Eleanor, so Eleanor wins and then Rachel flips her tiles down to show that she could have won, but she didn't. Mm, Rachel gotcha. pretty much had she the equivalent. Away. Like, because I tried looking it up to be like, okay, what did, what did, like, what kind of hand did she have? She had the equivalent of like a royal flush in poker, um, all suited ace through or ace through 10. And she, it's like as if she had that hand, could have won, and then like put the ace down for her competitor to pick up, and then she just had nothing. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that either. I just thought that. I mean, I thought it works without that, but I think that adds a really interesting layer to the conversation. Yeah. I will say, so all that happens, and then uh, Rachel is getting on the plane with her mom when Nick shows up. And when Nick gets down on one knee and reveals the ring, that is actually his mother's ring. Uh The lady in front of me literally goes, oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And it was one of the like my favorite moments in a theater I've ever had the physical comedy of him trying to get close to her on the plane was so good and Mm. especially at the timing of it it just like drives you insane and you like half want to laugh and you like half of want to yell at the people to get out of his way and I I thought that was a really nice touch that it didn't I think this movie does a good job of never making anything too easy even though we know where it's going to end up last couple of things we touched on cinematography for a little bit. Uh, this film's beautiful, especially that wedding scene. Oh and my, Jake! So this movie was shot on anamorphic lenses. So since we talked a little bit earlier, I'm kind of putting you on the spot. What <laughs> is it that shooting on anamorphic lenses brings to a scene that normal lenses wouldn't? Mm, okay, so there's two type of lenses. Well. We're going to do the idiot version of this. They're like, okay, so there's two types. Talk to of, me like I'm five. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Michael next, Scott me. Next year, you'll be two. six. Um, <laughs> okay. So and mommy and daddy will only give you $10. <laughs> so it really breaks down to like, there's a lot of lenses. They kind of fall into two categories. One is spherical. One is anamorphic. Anamorphic, when you shoot anamorphic, what it does is it's, it's squeezing the image that's super wide into the four by three width or the 16 by nine width of the sensor. And then in post you de squeeze the footage and it gives you just this like super wide, not stretched looking beautiful landscape stuff. It also gives you this distortion on the edges that kind of, it's not distracting, but it gives things this like ethereal look it also gives out of focus lights the oval shape instead of the circular shape it gives interesting layering within the scene of people feel like they're kind of pulled further out from the background than they actually are colors are different flares are different everything's different it's it's a very intentional creative choice by the director and the cinematographer to make something first off it's a natural way of shooting widescreen instead of doing like the black bars on top black bars on footage is trying to copy anamorphic that's all that is it's like people being like oh this youtube video told me this is cinematic so i'm gonna put black bars on my footage (laughs) they don't actually understand the intent behind it it also just like 
it's a sense of scale. That's really what it is. And this film is all about scale. It's all about lavishness. <laughs> it's just so much. It's so over the top. Um, and so if you if you intentionally make that kind of creative decision of giving the width the sense of scale, that priority, that's why the production design is so strong in this film is because they intentionally designed all of the sets to be like impressive vertically, yes, but they are incredibly impressively horizontally. The width, the space, the size of the space is filled with people. Everything is decorated flawlessly. All of the patterns are moving from left to right or right to left on the screen. All of the landscape shots, it just gives like Singapore this otherworldly feeling uh, that normal life or normal spherical lenses won't give you. So that was the very long-winded explanation i apologize (laughs) but it puts things into a great context of why this movie looks and feels the way it does yeah and it's beautiful round of applause for jake it's absolutely beautiful the the locations that they found for this are insane the way that they decorated them is insane the colors um the the whole the whole set inside the church for the wedding is ridiculous yeah I mean, were there even chairs in there? What were those people sitting on? I didn't even see a chair. They were chairs. I assume there were but chairs. They were like hidden by the rice leaves. Oh man! Yeah. And then the water—they just flooded the oh. flooded the aisle. Yeah, that was crazy. What? <laughs> oh my! Oh my goodness! That and, and I, I mean, care. like I said, the the container ship set for the bachelor party. That was is, nuts. Is yeah. is just ridiculous. I love that. Like it starts out and you see this like rocket shoot off and you're like, oh, fireworks. And then it just goes into the ocean <laughs> and then comes in to realize that it's Jimmy O. Yang just shooting a bazooka into the ocean just because he can. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just, yeah, that's, that was maybe the most, the most surprising thing was the, about this was the production design and the set pieces definitely maybe the best of any rom-com i've ever seen <laughs> yeah i can see this movie getting nominated for costumes oh I, yeah, yeah production design costumes, production direction. design yeah for sure yeah the wedding scene was like almost like a uh oh yeah john chu direct this like it's just so <laughs> visually intense of just like john chu putting his stamp on a wedding real quick yeah. Yep. It's like this movie is like did you guys see the Boz Lerman Great Gatsby from yes. 2013 whatever yeah. which was not that good. Nope. But this was like the good version of it. Yeah. This is this is like it, it the reason why it's the good version is that the people seem real and it doesn't miss <laughs> the point that F Scott Fitzgerald has in his work which is rich people are just like the rest of us. They're just dumber and that being rich doesn't actually mean anything at all. Mm-hmm. And right. Boz Lerman completely missed the point of that when he made great Gatsby. Yeah. And this, this is, that's what this movie is telling you. That's why I said it's, it feels very much like an F Scott Fitzgerald. It's a, it's at the same time, a criticism and celebration of wealth and opulence and a criticism and celebration of family values and what they mean. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the, I mean, I, I kind of just segued myself into something completely different here, but the, the key thing for me about understanding Nick's family and how ridiculous it is, is that his father doesn't even appear in the movie. Mm. He's not even 
I mean, he's, he's mentioned in that he can't be here because he has to do this. And it's kind of this weird juxtaposition with Michelle Yeoh's Eleanor talking about sacrifice for family and all what she had to do, except it kind of feels like she's doing everything and his family actually important to the whole family or just important to her. Yeah. And, um, and we also don't get any of uh, Rachel's dad, but it's for totally different reasons. You know, it's like right. that, mm-hmm. that contrast of um, dad would be here if he could, but he can't because of all of these uh-huh. things. Um, and then your, your husband is choosing not to be here intentionally. Alrighty. Well, let's go ahead and get to our final thoughts and ratings for the film. Trevor, what is your reading for this film? I love this movie. I thought it was very fun. I felt real emotions, which is not how most rom-coms hit me. We didn't, t- I know you kind of touched on it, Cam. That version of yellow mm-hmm. is better than the original hot take Whoa. and That's used the perfectly. Take you've ever said, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> we stopped is... doing hot takes and you dropped that <laughs> ghost pepper on us. Come Look on, out. Trev. It was, which it is was interesting because perfectly. they initially Coldplay turned down letting the song be in the film due to they were afraid that, you know, with yellow and it being uh, the racist associations with the word yellow, (laughs) that it would be misused. And then John Chu ended up writing them a letter and it was like approved instantly. Wow. So just goes to show a well-written letter. (laughs) Write, write your Congressman. That's, that's what we learned. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. Letters, letters, letters. Use the mail. Um, yeah, it was just, it was just a fun little delight that, that had some kind of bigger meanings if you dig into it. Um, as far as rating, I really had trouble doing my normal shtick on this. (laughs) Um, so if, if Boz Lerman's Great Gatsby is one out of four actual Great Gatsby's, this is three out of four actual Great Gatsby's. Hmm. Okay, cool. Cool. So that's the most convoluted rating system that's ever existed. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah, not, What's the not conversion of Boz Lerman, Great Gatsby's to John Chu, Crazy Rich Asians? Same thing as uh, Shroot Bucks to Stanley <laughs> Nichols. So, mm. all right, <laughs> all right, Jake. Final thoughts and rating. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I think my opening thoughts basically sum up how I feel about this movie. Like, super fun, great, great romantic comedy. It is a little predictable. It is a little unoriginal, but like if you find a perfect romantic comedy that's unpredictable and super original, you found a movie that doesn't exist. So congratulations. Um, yeah, no, I, I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. Um, I smiled there. I had a few cringy moments, but you know, maybe that's just, uh, my personal issues with, uh, guys, I'm working through some stuff. Um, no, uh, next subject, next subject, move along, move along. Oh, uh, no, this, this is a synergy synergy. This is a B plus for me, maybe even an A minus. I need to think about it more. Uh, but yeah, B plus it's, it's a great summary movie. Alrighty. I'm, uh, I'm with you guys. I love this movie. I had a great time. This is a movie. I don't buy many movies, many that much anymore, just because movies, you can rent them online for cheaper. And, um, but this is a movie I would consider buying because it's, I like, it's just one of those movies I could watch over and over again and be delighted every single time. Uh, so this is an A for me. I wouldn't be surprised if this makes it into my end of the year top 10, depending on what happens this fall. Wow. But yeah, I really love this movie. This was a, uh, this was a pretty good and it's up there 
with Set It Up, the film that Jake and Trevor will be watching soon. Yes. Soon. Soon. Okay, cool. All right, that's all we have for our review. Let's go ahead and get to our content of the week. Jake, what is your content of the week? I already said mine. It's Crazy Stupid Love, starring multiple honorable mentions, and is probably the best romantic comedy ever. Definitely the best I've ever seen. Absolutely love it. Um, check it out. I mean, it's it's Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, Steve Carell, all being adorable. And, and what, what more do you want? And Kevin Bacon, because it's a movie. Yeah, because Kevin yep. Bacon. Can't get too far away. No, Julianne Moore. I mean, it's it's just it's just a fantastic movie. Please watch it. It Where's ends the with the song Cancer by the, or Blood by uh, the Middle East. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. Cancer Blood. Love it. <laughs> Not cancer oh. blood. It's just called blood, but it's about cancer. Gee, come on. Okay. Read between lines. Sorry. All right, Trev. So yeah, I was kind of going along the same lines. Um, I was going to recommend the three rom-coms that I can definitely say are better than this. Um, and that's maybe it. Um, Crazy Stupid Love, When Harry Met Sally, and The Holiday. Um, three of the Pantheon rom-coms, I believe. All fantastic um, all iconic in certain ways, especially when Harry met Sally. Um, but yeah, just just three really good movies in a genre that is full of mostly bad movies. My content of the week, we are actually recording this on September 11th, and there's a, there's a short film that I watch every year at this time. It's called First Pitch. It's a 30 for 30 um, about the first pitch that George Bush threw out. Uh, Yankee Stadium and the 2001 World Series and kind of what led up to that. Uh, it involves a lot of my favorite things, the Yankees um, and baseball, and um, just makes you feel good about America. where our country once was instead of uh, you know, where we're maybe right now. Yeah, but, and George and, uh, W. George W. threw a gosh dang strike because America. Yeah, regardless of, of how you feel about him politically, that was a pretty epic presidential moment. Yeah. Next is John Legend is now an EGOT. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he is. Wanted to credit John Legend. His Evolver album from Oof. back in the day is pretty darn great. That's Green music right there. Um, and then the uh, he won, I think, an Oscar and a Grammy for a song called Glory yep. from the movie Selma, directed by Ava DuVernay. And that song is powerful. So check that out. Um, that's all we have for this week. We'll be back next week with a new episode and a review of Predator. I say that. I, I don't care about the reviews. You want to see it? ahead. Yeah. All right. Let's see the. I, I want to see it. I don't. What do you think, Jake? Uh, yeah, I'm down. Well, we'll be back next week with a review of Predator. Uh, we'll see how that goes. That film is already not getting great reviews and is well surrounded by a little bit of controversy we could go back to back henry golding and do a simple favor which apparently is getting good reviews yeah that looks that looks very interesting guys i'm i'm all in on paul feig i think he's really interesting especially in a serious movie yeah who doesn't love anna kendrick soccer mom detective you know i am also totally down to just rip a movie apart it's been a while (laughs) it's not been a while we ripped we didn't actually... No, we ripped the Meg pretty good. We could see uh. Mandy, the new Nicolas Cage oh movie. Oh, gosh. Get out of here. That actually has a 98% right now. <laughs> Very positive reviews. I, I don't understand. If we, if we really want to rip a movie this weekend, we're going to see White Boy Rick. I, I want to see that, though. 
I don't want to see that either. Although the line from the trailer and where, where McConaughey goes, put on your clothes. We're going for custard is so good. <laughs> uh, it's McConaughey. Have you guys so, seen the trailer? Uh, have you seen the trailer for Beach Bum? Yeah. It looks oh my so bad. <laughs> no. It's Harmony what Corinne. Is... Did you think it was going to be good? I mean, no, but oh, it looks so bad. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, we'll be back next week with a review of something. Who knows? But go see all three this weekend, and then we'll uh, we'll be reviewing one of them. Yeah. Um, if you really want to know, it'll probably be Predator. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening to us, uh, go listen to us on iTunes. All of our episodes are up there. Uh, if you if you like this podcast, the best way to show us your appreciation is to subscribe to us. Give us a rating, review us, and then share us with your friends and family. You know, if you guys all go see a movie together, recommend the podcast for them to listen to uh, after the movie. Um, if you want to know more about us, you can go to our website at Popcorn Optional, where you can find all of our episodes up there as well. If you want to interact with us, you can find us on Twitter at Popcorn Optional. My name is Cameron Selena. You can find me online at 321 Time. Jake, where can we find you online? You can find me at jakebrown.tv. That's my website and my Instagram. Trevor? On Twitter and Instagram at TurboTrevor. Until next time, we hope you guys have a great week. Watch some movies. And in the words of Aquafina, bok bok. <laughs> is that is that what, how we're ending it? Okay, cut? Are we cutting? Yeah, we're <laughs> <laughs>